uh, in the book of Revelations, uh, Revelations chapter 3. We're going to be reading a few uh, verses of scripture there. Uh, so it's Wednesday, Wednesday night. As you know, we've been uh, studying uh, the things or the last things, eschatology. And even within that, we've been looking at the uh, seven letters uh, to the seven churches. Uh, and tonight we're going to conclude uh, the series here. Um, so just to give a, a kind of overview of what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we understand at the very beginning of the book of Revelations, John mentions that he has a vision of Jesus Christ and Jesus uh, uh, dictates letters that should be sent to the seven churches um, and we're going to be at the last church this evening, Laodicea is the name of the city. And as I always say, the last couple of weeks, uh, um, you know, there is uh, the, the, the kind of two ways you can look at the letters uh, uh, where they were written to actual churches in history, which they actually were um, in, in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Uh, but also people look at this and interpret that as they were ages or time periods within church history. And Laodicea is probably uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the church age we're in right now, some people are saying, or commentators believe. But they were actual churches. They, they, were, they existed. They were physical places. Um, and we are here in the last uh, uh, letter to the church in Laodicea. And I want to preach a, a sermon of entitled, The Spirit Speaking, the Lukewarm Church. Now, this is quite possibly the most famous or the most recognizable out of the seven letters. Um, it is, uh, you know, one of those letters that there are things that are said that people recognize uh, as, as, as quote unquote, like a, a, a kind of scriptures people throw out there. If they see a type of person, they may use a quote that comes out of the verses of scripture we're going to read. And we're going to just unpack that a little bit today. And as I always say, yes, they are letters to actual churches that existed, but we can look at the word of God and apply it to our life. It is a wise person that applies the word of God to their life. Can you say amen in this place? It's a wise man or woman that doesn't just hear the word of God, but actually does something with it. So that's the reason I'm going to read this and we're going to pray that God will speak to us tonight. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, follow along with me in verse number 14. Uh, we're going to read here. The Bible says, uh, an angel of the church, uh, and so and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, uh, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse number 23 says, he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. So my first point, I want to kind of look with you about the characteristics. The characteristics, first of all, is the characteristics of Jesus. So Jesus, again, in this last letter, follows the same pattern as he has with the other letters in that he starts with an introduction of himself. He introduces himself in a certain way. And his introduction says these words. It says, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So there, first of all, it says, here says the amen. And I love that because the grammar of that sentence reminds me of the grammar that Jesus used when he was talking to the Pharisees. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. You know, because sometimes God has to use grammar that is outside of our normal English. Because the only way to describe somebody who was, is and will be is to use the continuous present tense regardless of the grammar of the entire sentence. So that reminds me of that when Jesus says uh, uh, the amen. Hear these things says the amen. And now the word amen, we're familiar with using the word amen. If I could count how many times I've used the word amen in my life, it will be into the millions. I could hear a good sermon and end up saying amen every five minutes because it's one of those words. But back in the day, it was used in two kind of places in a sentence. The first place it was used was right at the beginning and it was used to say surely or or verily or even truly. It was used to say things like, listen, what I'm about to say is the truth. The same word uh, used there at the beginning, Jesus uses many times in the Gospels uh, where he says a sentence and he starts the sentence saying, assuredly, I say to you. Well, that word assuredly in the Greek is the same word we use for amen. So when you use it at the beginning of a sentence, it's like somebody is saying, listen, this is real talk. What I'm about to say next is true. Pay attention. So that's used at the beginning of a sentence. So Jesus is saying um, that I am truly, I'm the one that has the truth. Uh, I'm the one is speaking to you. You should be assured of what I say and what I do is going to be true. Um, that's when you use it at the beginning of a sentence. When you use the word at the end of a sentence, uh, this is how we are used to using the word. Because uh, we know the word amen also means so it is or so be it or may it be fulfilled. And it was the custom of the the Jewish synagogues that when they would have somebody read or or give a discourse or exhortation or or give a prayer to God, that the people in the hearing of their voice at the end of it would say amen. Or in other words, so be it. May what you've just said be fulfilled. And that's how we're used to to saying it as well. So here we have the total understanding of what amen means. And Jesus is saying, that is me. This is the amen speaking. So you can understand why he describes himself as the amen. He also says the faithful and true witness. That is to contrast with so many unfaithful and false witnesses we have in this world. Can you say amen in this place? Come on, there's that word again. All right now. He says here also, the beginning of the creation of God. Now here we have to be careful because there are, some, uh, for in particular, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, this is one of the verses they use to say that God created Jesus, and this was he was he was the first creation of God. It says the beginning of the creation of God. They use that to say, see, there you go. 
God created Jesus, so therefore Jesus is not God. He is just uh, the first created being. That's what uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and other people would say. uh, But they're getting their words mixed up because the Greek word behind beginning here um, actually means uh, the ruler or the source or the origin. So David uh, Gusick, a uh, um, uh, Bible commenter, puts it this way. He says, the ancient Greek word is that of a ruler, source, or origin, not of the first in sequential order. This verse does not teach that Jesus was the first being created, but he is the ruler, the source, or the origin of all creation. It has the idea of the first in prominence uh, rather than the first in sequence. So here Jesus gives the characteristics to this church. He's basically saying, I am the origin of truth. I am all there is uh, to truth. Uh, I am the way and the truth, the Bible says. Jesus said that. That is the characteristics of Jesus. That's how he starts the letter. And then he goes on uh, to describe the characteristics of the church. And this is where it gets a little bit scary for the church here. It says in verse number 15, it says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. And we go on down the verse. He also uses the word lukewarm. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where you would find the word lukewarm. But we've taken this word, we've taken this kind of word and we've used it that many, many times. There are a group of young men that made a song about this saying, we're not lukewarm Christians, we're litty Christians. People have used that because they're taking it out of this is the only way or the only portion of scripture that has that word lukewarm and to understand the significance of being lukewarm we need to understand what being hot or cold is so we can understand what lukewarm is and there were two ways or two ways to kind of look at this and two ways to kind of interpret what Jesus's complaint is against this church and therefore two ways we can look at applying it into our life. The first way to look at it is that being hot or cold is synonymous with being good or bad. See, many times in the word of God, fire is linked to the power of God. We say God answers by fire. We, some, we see somebody that is zealous for God and the things of God and we say that person or that brother is on fire or that sister is on fire. We get the impression that cold is linked to the opposite. We get the impression that you think anything that is cold when it comes to a, a religion or following Christ isn't quite hitting the mark. You know, we see in Matthew 24 verse number 12, Jesus said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So we have this idea that hot is on fire for God, burning for God. You are zealous for the things of God. You are doing well. You have the power of God within you. Anything you touch just burns up. You preach the fire. You preach and people receive fire. And cold is this idea of things going wrong or distant. So if we take that kind of understanding, if we take that view of it, we can understand what being lukewarm is just a horrible existence because you're neither on fire for God or you're neither uh, distant from God you're just kind of tepid kind of in the middle you see because being lukewarm is a mixture because you're you're too hot to be called cold but then you're too cold to be called hot it's an identity crisis 
You can't really label yourself with one. How hard is it to reach people uh, with just enough Jesus to get by and be called Christian? But that's about it. And I say it's hard to reach people like that because that was me. You know, I first came to church, uh, you know, it was, it was back in the university days. Uh, I was about uh, 19, 20 years old, came into church, uh, was invited to a gospel concert. Uh, I came, but I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up, my parents uh, told me to go to church. So I went to church because my parents told me to go to church. Uh, so I had just enough of Jesus to understand what was going on in this place. Uh, but I didn't really have the fullness of Christ. Uh, so when I came to church, we got invited to a gospel concert, me and all my friends. Uh, when it came to uh, the preacher came and gave an altar call in asking people to invite Jesus in their life, I was like, yeah, you sinners, you guys need to get saved. Me, I'm cool. You guys need to get saved. You, you best go and pray. But for me, I had just enough of Jesus to say, no, I don't need that because I've already got Jesus. Never mind I was living like a dog, but I could, hey, I've got Jesus. I've got a, lot, a little bit of Jesus. And that's, and that's where we are when it comes to, in, if we take this inter- interpretation, uh, that lukewarm person uh, is not really fully on fire for God, uh, or not really cold away from God, they're just in the middle. And this is why Elijah on Mount Carmel said to the children of Israel when he went up there, he says, bring all the, the prophets of Baal. And he says here in Kings, 1 Kings 18, 21, it says, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, if Baal then follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. In other words, Elijah was saying to these people, how long are you going to mix hot with cold? How long are you going to have this kind of lukewarm attitude? Lukewarm is a mixture. Another thing lukewarm is, is comfortable. Come on now. Listen, the natural temperature for human nature is not too hot. But it's not too cold. It's just right in the middle. It's a comfortable, it's a natural thing to, to, to be comfortable with the right temperature. You know, I have this kind of routine uh, when I shower. I need to shower in the perfect temperature. Just if I, if I turn that tap just a little bit to the right, that's too hot. If I turn it just a little bit to the left, that's too cold. It has to be right there in the middle. I have no idea, God bless my wife, uh, how she's able to shower in what feels like molten lava. She turns the thing right to the right. And for all, I don't know if it's a women thing or something to my wife. I don't know. It goes all the way to the right. Uh, the steam, the whole place is steamed out. I'm like, you need to turn that down before you melt the shower. Can you say amen in this place? Uh, I don't know how she does it. But for me, listen, I need right in the middle. Can't have too hot. I can't have too cold. I don't know who else is with me in this place, but come on, you can't have too hot. Just be right in the middle. It has to be right there. I don't know how she does it, amen, but she does it. Because to to be lukewarm is the normal kind of -of run-of-the-mill of things. If you think about it, listen, we don't want to be too cold because that, that causes frostbite, causes us to, to shiver, it causes pain. We don't want it to be too hot because then we can get burns and so on. Listen, they're talking about a heat wave in Spain and countries like that, talking about it's reaching up towards 50 degrees. Come on, man, you step outside in that, you could die. <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. Hey, listen, I, hey, I know we've got some West Africans there who, who are used to heat, but come on, 50 degrees. Come on, that, that's taking it too far. 
But also on the, the other is true. Uh, you t- uh, uh, I think it's Poland. I used to have a, a Polish neighbor in Derby. And, and he says, you guys don't know what summer is. You don't know what winter is even. Because in, in Poland, they have the polar opposites. They have it like 40 degrees in summer. And then they have like minus 20 in winter. And people, I, I don't know how you can survive in that type of, 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 of weather going up and down. But the, the natural thing we want to do, we want to have this kind of just warm, just a bit of both. And that's why lukewarm churches or lukewarm Christians are genuinely or generally tolerated in the world. Because they fit just right in. Come on now, because you can have worldliness and a bit of religion and that's fine, it's okay. You can go church on Sundays, but Monday to Saturday, live how you want. Listen, the world won't condemn you at that. That's actually, they actually commend you for that. Oh, you're, you're a nice person, you go on Sundays, but yeah, when you came out to the club with me on Saturday, that's fine, you can, you can do that. There's no problem. A bit of carnality with creativity. You can have some wild living, but as long as you have wise words, then you're, you're considered okay. It's okay. There's people that can say, uh, talk a good talk and, and speak nice, but the way they're living is wild. That's generally accepted. It's okay. You can have sin with a bit of sanctity. Come on now, some people have told me that it's okay to do certain things. Uh, as long as you love each other, you can do whatever you want. As long as you, you know, that's, that's, that's sin, but it's a bit of sanctity as well. It's like, you're like, I'm not sleeping around, I'm just sleeping with you. That's, I know you're not my wife, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, I'm not sleeping around. You see, that there's sin, but there's a bit of sanctity there also. Come on. And that's generally accepted. I mean, it's so accepted, I just said that. Some of people felt a bit uncomfortable with me just saying that just now. Come on now, hey, let's be real. Because it's widely accepted. Because it's just a bit of this and just a bit of that. Mix it together and you've got this nice, warm, comfortable soup that we're just living in. Lukewarmness. We're naturally inclined to having this nice, warm, comfortable... Listen, I'm not going too far. Let's not get too zealous now. <laughs> what do you mean move out? What do you mean... Move? No, 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 no. Bring it back a little bit. But you're not going too far. I'm not going to go murder nobody. I'm not going to go kill anybody. But I can just... I can live in here where I can just, just have a bit of both. Lukewarmness. So that's the first interpretation where hot and cold uh, is, is, is seen as good and bad. But I want to look with you at the second interpretation here, where both hot and cold are both useful. So it's not necessarily bad. If we look at verse number 15, uh, the, our Bible says, I know your works. Jesus said, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. And he says these words, he says, I could wish you were cold or hot. So if cold meant ungodly or an unbeliever why would Jesus wish that you were cold he said I wish you'd have a cold or hot so we look at this second interpretation that really it's not necessarily being cold means you're ungodly or uh, a hot means you are on fire for God what he's saying is that I want you to be useful can you say amen in this place because hot things, uh, they can be used, they can be used, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great blessing to have a cup of tea that's hot. Come on, it's a great blessing in a, in a, in a, in a sunny day to have a nice cold super malt. Oh, oh, come on, that's just come out the fridge. But you give me a super malt that's warm, it's like, hey, what's going on here? So Jesus is saying it's not necessarily being hot or cold is a bad thing because he's saying I can use cold, I can use hot, but lukewarm I can't do nothing with. And lukewarm is a sign of decay. If you think about it, hot things, they lose their intensity. If you just leave it out there, they lose their intensity and get warm. 
Cold things, if you take out a fridge, you leave it on the table, it loses its freshness and gets warm. So lukewarmness is a, is a sign of decay. It's a sign of things just being left. Listen, cold is a blessing. We should uh, 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 see that as a refreshing thing. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse number 42, it says, whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. See, it is a blessing because it was cold on a hot day. So that cold brings refreshing. Hot is also useful. In the days of the Roman Empire, they would use the hot springs as medicinal. They would go in and use them as like health spas where they would go in and there'll be some relaxation, there'll be detoxing. It even kind of cured some sort of skin diseases when you had the, the sulfur in the, in, in the springs kind of mixed with the, uh, with, the, with, the, with the skin, it cured some skin diseases. So Jesus is saying, listen, cold I can use to refresh, heat I can use to heal, but lukewarm is good for nothing. So Jesus is saying usefulness is the key. Jesus goes on to describe the things that the church has, but because they were not useful, the things they had were like they didn't have it at all. In verse number 17, it says, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So the church themselves said, listen, we're rich. And if you look back in the history of that particular church in that particular era, they were very wealthy, very, very wealthy. They uh, uh, were so wealthy that when a huge earthquake hit all the cities in that area, the Roman Empire had to send aid to all the cities to kind of rebuild the city. This city said, no, we don't need your help. We've got enough money. We can build our own city. And through their own wealth, they rebuilt their own city. They were very, very wealthy. But Jesus said, you're poor. And there's a contrast because we read about the church in Smyrna who were actually poor, but Jesus said, actually, you're rich. There's a contrast. So now because they're not useful, uh, Jesus said, you have these, this wealth and, and, and the finances behind you, but you're actually poor. The city was also known for, for creating um, uh, garments. They were uh, very fashionable. They had this, these, this thing called like a black type of wool, where if you see a wool that was black, you knew it came from Laodicea, and it's like a luxury item. They were expensive garments. And Jesus is saying, you were, yes, you have clothing, but you're actually naked. And the same with his eyes. They're saying, yeah, you know, they're saying, Jesus is saying, you're blind. Well, they were known for exporting products, eye care products called eye salve that people would put on their eyes and, and they would be able to cure all sorts of eye ailments. But even with this, Jesus is saying, yeah, you have this thing to cure eye ailments, but you're actually blind. Jesus is saying that, that you think because you have these things that you're going to do something, but you're not actually doing what I've called you to do. You're not being useful. So therefore, the things you have actually means nothing at all. Jesus says we should swap the source of our reliance on these things and become useful. Verse number 18 of our text. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, 
that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now all these things, they had an abundance, but they didn't have it from the source, which was Jesus Christ to actually become useful. So now this church is functioning in a state where they're neither useful to being hot or useful being cold. They're in this state of just this, this warm kind of unuseful state. And it's, it's funny that Jesus used this analogy because it was actually a, a, a pertinent to the actual city that he was talking to. They had problems with their water flow. So they had to pipe water in from other cities. From one city, they wanted to bring in hot water so they can have hot spas, but it's quite far away. And from another city, they wanted to bring cold water so they can have refreshing water to drink. But by the time it got to the city, because of the pipe works and so on, the hot water became warm. They couldn't use it. The cold water became warm. It wasn't refreshing. So they actually understood what Jesus was saying when he said, you're lukewarm, just like the water you have in your cistern. You guys are lukewarm and I can't do anything with you. What a rebuke it is for Jesus to say, you are not useful because you're trying to waver between two areas. Church, that's a picture, unfortunately, of many churches we see today in this day and age. They're trying to serve, but there's no impact. They're trying to change things, but they have no usefulness because they're neither hot nor cold. They have no usefulness because they're trying to mix the two together and serve where Jesus needs things either hot or cold. I want to look secondly as we draw this to a close about the reward and the rebuke. See, with most of the letters, we've seen a sharp rebuke from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And we understand, listen, nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes a good rebuke. Nobody likes to be told what they're doing wrong. But Jesus says this in verse number 19 of our text. It says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You see, it is God's love for all of these churches we've been reading about that he would say a word of rebuke because he actually loves people. That's why he would say things that you might hear from a preacher's mouth that might convict you a little bit, might hurt a little bit because the love is there and he wants you to change. He wants me to change. He wants us to become useful so that our destiny can be fulfilled. There was a quote I read that says, God's final judgment or final punishment is to leave man alone. You may think, listen, I'll leave you alone. Well, actually, that is worse than Jesus coming in and rebuking and saying, listen, we need to fix this up. We need to go through. Jesus wants to let us know that the challenges he's put to the churches here that we've read about, we should also examine our own lives and see if what Jesus has spoken to the church, there is a a mark or a, a minuscule part of it that's in our lives also. And if there is something we should should rectify it. We should seek to rectify it because uh, there is a reward to the overcomer. Listen to this in verse number 20. Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus Christ is standing at the door of his church. Listen, he has the right to break down the door and come in because it's his church. But no, he says, no, I'm going to stand at the door and wait patiently uh, for people to come and hear my voice and open up the door so that we can have fellowship. And it says in verse number 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What a promise that is to receive from the mouth of Jesus Christ saying, listen, if you overcome this, you're going to sit with me. It kind of reminds me of going somewhere where you don't have the right credentials or you don't have the right pass. But that somebody that does says to the bouncer or says to the person at the door saying, don't worry, that person is with me. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying right here in this text. It's saying, if you overcome, I will grant you permission to come and sit sit with me on my throne. That boggles my mind because we don't deserve to sit on anybody's throne. The things that you and I have done, the things that we have been a part of, we don't deserve that kind of hierarchy. We don't deserve that kind of, 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 of uh, a promise. But Jesus said, no, if you can overcome, then I'm going to give you that promise. I'm going to lift you up. If you stay humble, I'm going to exalt you in the last days that you can have a place on the the throne that I have come, just like I have overcome and I have a throne with my father. Jesus is extending that to you and I tonight. So these churches we've read about and we've looked at, we should see what Jesus Christ, pay attention what he was saying to them because he's saying that to us today also. Jesus Christ wants to minister to his church. He is the owner. He is the head of the church. And he wants us to function in a useful state. All that we would be hot or cold. That we can do a mighty work for Jesus Christ in this place. That we would come and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And all men will be pulled, will be attracted to what Jesus Christ has to offer. You see, because a lukewarm Christian in a lukewarm church oh, has nothing to offer. Many times people don't want to come into the house of God because they've seen the display of a lukewarm Christian. Many times I speak to people, talking to them, inviting them to church and they've given me some story about how they've come to church. They've seen something they've not liked and saying, I'm not stepping foot back in the church. What a travesty that would be to turn people away from the house of God. We should be useful, that we can be cold, refreshing, or hot healing, so that when people see us, they'll begin to glorify God in heaven. Do you agree in that place tonight, in this place right now? We're saying that we should be useful. Jesus Christ is saying to this church, I want you to be useful. Church, you know, God has a plan. We know we use that phrase so many times, God has a plan, but he does. He actually, actually actually has a specific plan for your life. And he wants to fulfill that destiny in your life. He wants you to be useful, that in his right hand, he can use you like a weapon. But we need to ensure that we are either hot 
or cold. Uh, we're not right in the middle, trying to mix this together, but we are serving with an intensity, serving with a freshness, uh, serving that we can fulfill destiny uh, in this church. Uh, and we want to see that right here in this congregation. We want to have an impact in this city uh, that God has placed us in for a reason. Let's bow our heads. Uh, let's close our eyes in this place. Uh,